1: You watch them when you need the latest forecast or severe weather threatens your area. Broadcast meteorologists are important parts of our daily lives. Today, we talk with three broadcast meteorologists in a roundtable. I'm joined by Jen Carfagno, on camera meteorologist and host of America's Morning HQ at the Weather Channel, Lance Blocker, weekend meteorologist at CBS 17 in Raleigh, North Carolina, and JD Disharu, senior weather producer at the Weather Channel thank you all for joining us on the weather geeks podcast
2: it is so good to be here uh i always love being a part of this podcast and it's really exciting to get to have this conversation with everyone involved today because i think there are so many people listening to this podcast that want to be a meteorologist and they don't know exactly what they want to do so we'll talk about the tv side
1: yeah it's, it's really a fascinating discussion and i've got to give props to Lance Blocker there at CBS 17, who, full disclosure, is one of my former students at the University of Georgia and an outstanding on-camera meteorologist. He 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 reached out to me and said, you know, I think it'd be a really interesting podcast episode to sort of talk about the sort of opportunities, challenges, the day-to-day of what it's like to be a broadcast meteorologist and pitched it to JD, who is our, our senior executive producer here on the, uh, our weather producer on, uh, on the podcast. And here we are. So I, I I'd like to start by just giving you all a chance to introduce yourselves. Tell us where you are and how long you've been in the business. And I think mean, since you pitched the idea, Lance, let's start there with you and we'll come to Jen and then, and then JD. So Lance, tell us a little bit about your background.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it. So I'm excited to be here as well. Thank you for the opportunity to participate. And, uh, you know, I started out, of course, my, my first job was in Texas. I'm currently at CBS 17 in Raleigh, North Carolina. My first job uh, was in West Texas in Lubbock, Texas at uh, KMAC News there. And then I was at uh, WCBI in Columbus, Mississippi. And then now uh, my third job now uh, here in Raleigh, North Carolina. So excited to be here and excited to hear what everybody else has to share here as well. And I I would say Lance
1: represents a current local television broadcast meteorologist. And we'll go to Jen, who's at the Weather Channel, uh, a national stage. So Jen, tell us a little bit about your background.
2: And I've been at the Weather Channel since the beginning of my career, which is rare these days Um, And my career is 24 years long. Right now, I went to Penn State uh, to get my meteorology degree and then I interned at the Weather Channel and mainly doing graphics stuff. That was things were so different back then. We had to hand draw and hand forecast everything. And when I graduated from Penn State, I came back to the Weather Channel full time and not as an on-camera meteorologist. I worked behind the scenes. I spent six years doing various jobs. I worked in graphic meteorology and and data. I worked for our science and strategy department because this was a time when so much was changing in the weather industry like getting warnings to your pagers. That was one of my first projects in that realm. Whoa. Yeah. Going way back. Uh, And, but during that time I was part of the weather channels apprenticeship program. So in addition to my full-time job on the weekends, I would do some on-air work. And after five years of that, it led to a full-time gig. And so there's no turning back after that. Although at the time there was some conflict in my life. I had actually started attending a, um, executive MBA program. And so I was doing a lot of, on the business side of weather and growing the industry in, in that sense. And so, um, there was a decision to be made because I knew it would be hard to go back then into, uh, into something other than, um, TV if I, if I went down that path, but I had to give it a shot. and. I love it. So I'm glad I'm here. 24 years later, I'm still at the Weather Channel hosting America's Morning Headquarters, which has been a dream.
1: Well, and there's, it's no accident that she's still there. She's one of the best in the business. I'm a big fan of Jen's and oh, I've, you, I've stated that on on this podcast and elsewhere many times and clearly others agree because she's certainly uh, one of the, the true faces of the Weather Channel and uh, happy to be a colleague of hers and also a colleague of hers on, on the Weather Geeks podcast too. She's a uh, hosts some of our episodes as well, so you certainly should be familiar with her. I want to now go to JD. Now, JD, you have an interesting path because you were a broadcast meteorologist, but now you're at the Weather Channel as a senior weather producer. So you're behind the scenes, but still very much immersed in weather. Tell us about your path.
0: Yeah, I, I've kind of bounced around all over because uh, I've been in the industry for 15 years. Started off behind the scenes as a producer for CNN, and then a local affiliate here in Atlanta. Uh, the CBS affiliate, and then moved on air, and so bounced my way up, as many in our industry do, uh, starting in Macon, Georgia, and then Chattanooga, Tennessee, and New Orleans, Louisiana, and then finally ended up in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. There, uh, once I got to that point, though, you know, I've been in the industry so long, and I always work weekends. Uh, and if you're on air, you know, you're either mornings, or evenings, or your weekends. Very rarely in our industry, if you're on air, do you find the nine to five? that Monday through Friday that gives you the same working hours as everybody else. And after not having it for so long and missing out on so many things in my life, I really wanted to just kind of look for a position that would allow me to kind of have that freedom, but still allow me to use the skills that I've built up over the last 15 years. And that's what drew me to the Weather Channel uh, and the the behind-the-scenes role. So now I am, for the most part, working 9 to 5 Monday through Friday, but I'm behind the scenes with Jen you know, or whatever show I'm working on. Uh, helping to make sure that the graphics and the meteorology are all right and all flowing smoothly so that it just looks really well on air. But for me, it was just that draw of having a normal schedule, but still being a weatherman that you know drove me to my current position.
1: Now, this is a roundtable, so I, I will sort of guide the discussion, but I hope this will be a cross uh, guest discussion. Feel free to uh, entertain each other with questions and comments. But I want to sort of drop a question into the atmosphere for any of you to respond to. I think people see you in your various roles and understand your roles and what what you're up to. What is something that you would share with the Weather Geeks audience that may surprise them about what you do as a broadcast meteorologist? Is there something that when you talk to someone, you're like, oh, really, I didn't realize that or really, I didn't know that. Uh, Jen, I'll come to you first.
2: Uh well, number one, I think a lot of people think the job is more glamorous than it is in all parts of it, including just the you know putting your hair and makeup together and um your outfits yeah, we do we do that ourselves and um honestly, like it does take training and work and it's like a part of my professional career. I never thought would be that important to really know how to put good eye makeup on, but it is, it's, you know, because we are on TV, it makes a difference to do have, have the look that, that fits TV. Um, but it goes, it goes beyond just hair and makeup, just more in the field there, you know, we're not flying first class and, um, there's not an assistant traveling with us. Like we're literally sitting on the snow, trying to troubleshoot problems when your IFB is not working so we can hear you know, what the programming is, our producer trying to talk to us, like literally you're just a mini MacGyver out there trying to figure it out.
1: Yeah. What about you, Lance?
3: Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, you know, my buddies, they tell, well, now you got the TV money, right? So now you're, you're, you're made <laughs> it. Right. It's like, no, no, that's, that's not the case. And a lot of, a lot of, especially entry-level jobs in the, you know, in this, in this, in this industry markets, especially hundred, Plus, you're barely making living wage in a lot of locations. And so, you know, the mindset is, is that, well, we see you wearing a suit every day. And, and to what Jen was pointing out there to you, looking good on TV, you got the makeup on, everything else that comes along with what we do on a day-to-day basis. And, uh, and, and, so, and more often than not, that's not necessarily the case. Um, that's as, as a result of the state of the industry currently, but that's just where we're at. And so that's one thing that I think is a, a disconnect between the perception of what we do and the reality uh, of what it takes to be on on air as a broadcast meteorologist. Now, J.D.,
1: I would ask you that question from two perspectives on air and actually as a producer as well.
0: Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with Lance there because a lot of people don't realize, especially in those earlier markets, um, you're doing a lot more than just weather if you're out there. Uh, reporting, which many of us do in that first job, Uh, the way the market is and the way the industry's turned, uh, you're not just doing the weather, you're also doing the reporting, you're doing the camera work, the setup, because we've kind of gone down to this one man band thing. And what that means for those who are not familiar with the term is the person you see on TV giving you the news is literally doing everything. They are doing the story, they are doing the writing, the editing. Uh, If it's a live shot, they're the ones who are getting that backpack, you know, live unit and getting it trouble, you know, shooting it and making sure everything gets back to the station. So I don't think a lot of people understand that when you're if you're choosing to come into this industry, you will have to learn a lot more uh, from the technical side than just the meteorology. You're going to have to learn the industry as a whole Um, behind the scenes. I think people would be surprised just to know, like how much actually goes into it. Um, Like here at the Weather Channel, we have four different meetings during the day that you can sit in on to get continuous updates of the weather. Um, and most of the time you're sitting in on more than one of them. So I'll sit in on the 9.30 a.m. meeting, and then I'll also do the 3 p.m. or the 3.30 in the afternoon. And it's just, oh, you know, it is like a regular job. you are not just going out on TV and doing the weather, but you have all the meetings that go on behind it. You have all the office stuff that's going on. Uh, you have your meetings with management. And, you know, it is a regular, typical job in that fashion. And I think a lot of times people see the glamour of the industry and kind of forget that aspect of it as well.
1: One, one thing that I have often found, you know, I've done a little broadcast earlier in my career at school, but I certainly know many of you. And I think many people are surprised also to learn that you all aren't scripted. Uh, typically, when you're yeah. giving your, your, your broadcast, um, unlike perhaps the news anchor that's reading from a teleprompter, uh, for the most part, you all are coming right off the cuff. And that's something that I have found. But speaking of that covering the weather, and again, I see Jen do it, Lance, I know you do it, uh, JD, you've mentioned that you do it. Uh, recently, during my time as president of the AMS and somewhat after that, you know, there was a period of time where there were people leaving the broadcast meteorology field. I mean, I actually wrote about this in Forbes and I was sort of curious what was going on. And and there were also some uh, we lost some colleagues in the field and various things. And there was a real discussion about what was going on. And one of the things that at least some of the younger people that I talked to said is they weren't ready for the fact that, that you had to cover news. They weren't trained as journalists in some cases. They were trained as meteorologists. They weren't prepared for a certain amount of hours in social media and so forth. Um, Lance, is that something, again, someone that's
3: relatively, I mean, you're, you've are you been around for a while, but is that something that resonates with you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of positions now today, uh, whenever you see them posted online, it's not just, you know, 10 years ago, it was just meteorologist openings. That's it. I would say probably and I'm, I'm ballparking this, but 40 to 60 percent of openings today are meteorologist slash MMJ or meteorologist slash reporter. What is MMJ? And, uh, multimedia journalist. Ah. And so you're still doing uh, a lot of additional work outside of just the meteorology. And in fact, to be honest with you, from what I've seen in, uh, for you know, talking with colleagues at different stations, especially the entry-level stations, the market 100-plus, the name should be flipped. It's not meteorologist slash reporter. It It should be, from what they have talked about, reporter slash meteorologist. You are a reporter first, and then you fill in as a meteorologist. That's the way I've seen it with a lot of the stations, what I've heard talking with colleagues. They value your content that you can produce from a reporter standpoint, more so perhaps than the meteorology side. Uh, And a lot of folks, you know, they spend years getting a job or years getting an education, taking out student loans in many cases, and then getting a job that pays $15 an hour to go be a meteorologist. Yet now they've landed in something that's not that. And so it's a big disappointment for a lot of folks who've worked really hard to achieve that level. and then. The reality doesn't meet up with their expectation.
1: Yeah. Any anything, uh, Jen? I mean, I, again, you you've done coverage as a meteorologist, but I I know you also uh, cover stories. Uh, yeah. I think I've, you've uh, you host uh, the AMHQ and so forth. Um, How would you get training beyond your meteorology training, or is well, it just it, you're a natural?
2: <laughs> the, no. I- actually just on the job training. And when I first started and things were different, you know, 20 years ago, all we really had was weather bulletins. We didn't have the internet, you know, the full breadth of the internet at our disposal to know everything that's happening everywhere all the time. So we just talked about the weather and that was a lot easier. Um, but when I first started, you know, I did the, in the apprenticeship and then I went full-time with, uh, I was a travel analyst on our morning programming at that time. And they gave me a piece of paper with script on it. And it said SOT. And I was like, what's, what's an SOT? (laughs) I don't know what that is. What's a, what's a vote. I don't know what that is. So literally it was the first, very first day I got my training and they didn't know that I didn't know. I mean, all I had was forecasting training and science training, nothing at all in TV production. So that's been a lifelong learning, which I am so grateful to my producers and executive producers for over the years for really teaching us how to create TV uh, but, you know, to Lance's point, the way that we create TV has evolved and it's not just it's not just talking about the weather. We have to make it more entertaining than that, because people have way more options of things to look at and ways to get their weather. So it's all about the storytelling and news gathering basically to make the story evolve beyond just the weather. So it's, you know, about the people side of things. Um, and this is where interviewing and skills like that. I've really just learned along the way. And by watching others, I had a a voice coach one time who gave me some great advice who said, you know, make, and she was, she was getting at you know, me trying to to get to a better voice, but it was not just in my, you know, vocal sound, but it was sort of in the persona. She said, write down characteristics of celebrities in, in the news that you admire and then find them in yourself. And I thought that was the best advice. And I I did that. And I still, to this day, I watch others and I, I look at what I like about them. And then I try to find it in me. I mean, you can't copy someone, but you can see what's in you.
1: What what would you add to this conversation, J.D.? I mean, again, you've seen this industry from multiple lenses.
0: And the biggest thing uh, I, I can really kind of add to this is if you're thinking of coming into this field, uh, pay attention and be receptive to what other people have to say, um, because there are so many other things that you're not trained for. Uh, I, for example, I went to Georgia Tech. Their meteorology program is research based. They're not they're not doing anything to help you get into the broadcast television field. They just want to make sure that you know the meteorologist and you know it damn well. So what I had to do is I took three years of interning at different stations all over Atlanta and the national weather service and many different types of internships, not just TV, but also other ones. Cause there may have been a different aspect of meteorology. I enjoyed more, but to go through all of those internships, get that experience, not only in TV, but also uh with the national weather service but then also to take the advice and the critiques that they give you and use them to better yourselves uh our industry is surrounded by professionals who want to help you but it's not going to work if you're not listening the flip side of that is too all of these people in the industry it's a pretty small one we talk to each other the more you put yourself out there whether it's on facebook whether it's an internship the more contacts you make the more contacts you make, the easier it is to get a footing in this position in this field.
2: J.D., I have a quick question. Did you go to Georgia Tech with the intent of becoming a TV meteorologist?
0: I did actually. Um, I, you know, I knew for a fact that they didn't have that, I guess you would say curriculum, but I knew they would give me the science and I had talked beforehand with some of the advisors before I went there. And they're the ones who told me about the internships or the ones that go, we don't opt for this but we can give you access to these TV stations. You know, I was able to do a local station, CNN, and the National Weather Service uh, before I even graduated. And even though they weren't a broadcast school, they still helped set me up with those positions. And my first job in TV, believe it or not, was a chief meteorologist that I had when I was a freshman in college, remembered me four years later. And was like, hey, we've got an opening, you know, I'd love for you to try out. And that's how I ended up getting my foot in the door. He remembered me four years later.
2: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
3: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash
2: metaverseimpact.
1: and we are back on the weather geeks podcast i'm dr marshall shepherd from the university of georgia and i'm speaking with a georgia tech yellow jacket jd disher (laughs) and a penn state Nittany lion and a fellow georgia bulldog and we're talking about broadcast meteorology and a broadcast uh, round table we we thought it would be fun to do this show because People, the first meteorologist that most people see in their lives or on a given day is a broadcast meteorologist. Uh, They're the scientist that is a part of everyone's lives on a daily basis. And so uh, we wanted to bring you inside the world of broadcast meteorologists from the perspective of uh, three colleagues that work in that field. Now, the question I have, because many of you have already spoken about how the industry's changed. I'm gonna put a provocative question out there And J.D., I'll start with you with this one. Has it changed so much because of social media and apps that we don't need humans in the process for communicating the weather? Defend or sort of blow that argument out of the water. You know, I think it's social
0: media is a beautiful and a horrible thing all at the same time. Uh, We're able to get our message, especially in terms of severe weather and breaking weather out so much quicker to so many other people. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's also, I, I know a lot of on air people have to deal with the blowbacks of pretty people pretty much think that you can just say anything you want on social media as well. So you kind of have to develop a thick skin for that because it, it brings out the best and the worst of everybody. And if you can't handle that, that's, that's not a good thing. It's not going to be good for your mental health if, if you're not able to come up with a, a way to cope with that and a way to deal with that and a way to handle that uh, in a healthy manner. In terms of weather, though, I mean, I still don't think we're to the point yet where you can just go online and look at an app and see exactly what you need to for the next 10 days. Um, I, I don't think we're to that point yet. I think we're trying, obviously, as a meteorologist, we would love to get to that point, uh, but I don't think we're there yet. And I think we need the kind of nuances of a human forecaster to help give us those Just little things in the forecast that will make a huge difference, Uh, particularly when it comes to, I think, winter storms and severe weather off the top of my head. That's when you really want someone diving down in those details and not just a computer or social media.
1: Yeah. I would imagine people in Jen, I'm coming to you. I would imagine people tune in because they want to know what Jen Carvagna says about what's going on. They've developed a trust factor. What, what, are you, yeah. what do you say to that?
2: I do. I really do believe they want our opinion. You know, there's the forecast, but what's our opinion of the forecast? And by the way, communication of uncertainty is the biggest challenge out there. We know so much about the weather and actually the uncertainty is the most, I think, critical piece that would help people plan their day better, but it's communicating that. And it's right now, that's a verbal thing, right? That's a human to human kind of connection that has to be made. And you do trust when the person, the meteorologist that you're used to listening to talks about the forecast and, you know, gives their perspective. But how many times, I mean, I'm sure the three of you have this happen all the time where, Somebody, a friend will ask you, I see there's rain in the forecast, but what's really going to happen on Saturday, right? They <laughs> they just want a human to have double checked the forecast. Yes. And I don't think that's going away. And honestly, I think social media only makes us more valuable because there's more options to see these forecasts, crazy or not crazy. And so they ultimately, I think people want to hear from people with a, you know, a sound double check that this is what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Lance, what are you, what are you weighing in here?
2: Yeah, I mean, I,
3: I agree to an extent. I mean, I do think that there is a portion of this as well that uh, the day to day forecast is getting better via apps at times. Uh, that's just that's just reality. Uh, but at the end of the day, as well, um, you know what we do, what broadcast meteorologists do in particularly well that that apps and you know social media honestly are never going to be able to handle are the severe weather days whenever the somebody's life is at stake. I watched. Uh, you know, chief meteorologist Isaac Williams and meteorologist Dylan Hudler in uh, Columbus, Mississippi last week, uh, talking about a signature on radar that suddenly showed a debris ball signature and the look on their face and the tone of their voice and their reaction to seeing that was very important. And I'm sure that it helped protect people in Lowndes County where F2 tornado touched down. And you don't get that by looking at an app. You don't get that via social media either. And the fact is, too, is that social media, a lot of times, you know, these guys that got these accounts, they're not meteorologists, most of them, and they're algorithm experts who talk about weather. That's essentially what it is. They're algorithm experts. They know how to push the fear in order to grab the train, which is the algorithm to bring people there to make money. And that's what their goal is. You know, broadcast meteorologists, their goal is to save lives and protect property. And so there's a real big difference between those two things. Whenever you've got somebody who's just looking to push fear and just looking to grab attention, they're going to do every single tornado warning. They're going to show every GFS model at, you know, 200 hours out that shows a hurricane. So therefore, everything gets watered down. And so the scientist, the, the meteorologist who's talking through what we do on a day-to-day basis, what all of our colleagues do is vitally important. What Jen said, there's spot on. It's, it's even more so the social media and other Factors have increased our uh, our necessity to ha- be in this industry
1: and and I want to sort of piggyback on something you said, and Jen, I mean, I think people don't realize we are human beings uh, in this field, and we're dealing with phenomena that can affect people's lives. I remember I had a pit in my stomach as I watched Hurricane Ian as it was mm-hmm. making landfall. And talk about just sort of that aspect that's just another human being. Uh, serving a, a valuable role to the to the public in what you do, but over the years as a as a meteorologist, you know, I and mean, have, have you been personally affected by uh, what you're actually speaking about or covering?
2: Oh, most certainly, every every single time. Um, it's, especially hurricanes because they're so devastating. Um, but but even um. Just take it to, you know, a, a big pile up accident, like the one that happened in Northern Virginia last year. Yes. And I remember after it happened and we went back and um, talked after the show, like, what, what could we have done better to talk about the conditions? It was not surprising that the weather led to those conditions on the roads. And we had, we had talked about the forecast. What was surprising was just the reaction, right. Of, of very everybody. And so that's, that's where it's, you know, it's all about like making that human connection and trying to get the word across and not everyone is watching you all the time. So you're not getting that word out there. And that's maybe the most frustrating thing, the turnaround, don't drown thing. I'm sure, um, you know, you guys have both saw circumstances where you saw people drive into floodwaters. Like, why why didn't they hear the message?
1: Yeah, it's exactly. And, and, the, and the communication challenge is there. And JD, one of the things that we know is it, and I think Jen or someone mentioned this earlier, it is about telling the story. You have to convey the message in a way, because as we, I talked about recently in another meeting uh, with National Weather Service, we can have the perfect forecast. But if someone didn't hear it, wasn't watching or listening to you, didn't interpret it correctly, was it a perfect forecast? Now, by the way, I should mention before I go to J.D., if you're enjoying the Weather Geeks podcast, uh, give J.D. a huge shout out because he is the man with the plan at the Weather Channel uh, that helps us corral this podcast on a day to day basis. Uh, Also, and I'm going to mention him, uh, Mike Chesterfield and some of your colleagues there is the executive weather producer for Weather Geeks and the uh, senior VP or some big fancy title for graphics content or whatever. I'm sorry, Mike, if I'm not, but he's the man there also (laughs) at the Weather Channel. But he and his colleagues and you all have been working with things like this immersive mixed reality and other tools. So, J.D., how is all of that technology and new approaches that you see going to help us advance the messaging of weather and also conveying that uncertainty that Jen talked about early?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that uh, at the end of all these major events, we have um, meetings. We, we call them in our department postmortems. You know, it's, it's a really grim term, but we talk about the messaging. We talk about what went right. We look at what went did not go right, and we try to improve it. And a lot of this technology that you're referring to, uh, especially our immersive or IMR technology and and things like that we use for the Weather Channel are born out of that, because we're looking for bigger and better ways to get the message across. Um, One of the one things that I can tell you about uh, over this past year was the fact that we have an IMR segment where we have the storm surge waters come up and you can visualize with a human standing there when we tell you what a three-foot storm surge looks like, we have someone there with the waters rising, a six-foot storm surge, a nine-foot storm surge. So just by you know letting people visually see how dangerous these events are, I think it gives a whole extra layer to how important it is that you heed the messages that are coming from these people. Uh, I, I think that's really one of the biggest things. If they can see it, they can comprehend it a lot easier. And that's what this technology really is aiming to do.
3: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: And we're back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. and I'm speaking with Jen Carfagno from the Weather Channel, J.D. Disharoon from the Weather Channel, and Lance Blocker from CBS 17 in Raleigh. And by the way, let me go back and get Mike Chesterfield's uh, title correct so that he won't text me once he listens to this episode. He is the director of weather presentation at the Weather Channel. So shout out to Mike Chesterfield and Matt Subkowski and all those folks, because the entire Weather Geeks franchise was really a, sort of a an idea of those colleagues and a couple of others sitting around having nachos or or, or <laughs> such at a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> there, there, there's a history of that. Now, as we, we on to this last segment, I want to come to each of you and ask you, as you look across the landscape of broadcast meteorology in 2022, and we're actually about to enter 2023 as we're recording this episode, what is one thing that you'd like to see either change or evolve about
3: the field? Lance, I'll start with you. Yeah, I was afraid you're going to do that. Um, yeah, so I guess I think that there needs to be an increase in staffing, and I'm I'm very blessed to be on a great team with one of the largest weather uh, station teams in our state. We've got a large number of folks on our team. We've got five meteorologists right now, uh, which, comparatively speaking, is large. And you know, especially in the smaller markets where you've got two to three on a regular basis, sometimes and more often than not, very often. A team of two in a lot of the smaller markets, people get stretched very, very thin. They miss out on holidays. They miss out on uh, a lot with families. And so, one of the things that that I wish we could do was was find a better way to either a increase the staffing across the board, and this is this is just an industry wide thing. Not, this is nothing to do with any particular group, but increase the staffing for each weather team, or find a way to fill the gaps uh, with station to station. Um, help and assistance. Because like I said, it really does pull teams pretty thin. And I think that's a big reason why a lot of folks don't necessarily stay in our industry, even though it's got to- so many rewards and so many things that we do well, that, that we, and we're, we get to go to work and do what we would do a lot of us for free right and so there's not many people who can say I don't that. tell your boss that i know right yeah i probably shouldn't put that out there but it's the truth i we love what you I better do. than that <laughs> you did you did but i love what i do and it's we all love this stuff we're all in this for the what for the science and for the people and so uh to see folks who who are as dedicated as i am as dedicated as y'all are who um choose not to follow their dreams because of the amount of pressure that comes with this job is, is, it's, uh, it's disappointing at times. And so I think that those are some things we can do. And I'm going to come to Jen, but before I do that,
1: you know, Jen, Jen was on a really, one, I would say one of the more, most epic episodes of the television version of this show, Weather Geeks, when we talked about some of the challenges you face as a as a as a woman in this field and the whole Weather Girl thing, which is just please, please, let's retire that. These are scientists with degrees. And so I just wanted to shout out because as as I was sitting here thinking about this episode, I mean we're we're kind of covering some different territory here, but that was really an important episode in its own right. And so I, I just want to thank Jen for that. But coming back to the question at, at hand, Jen, how do you see broadcast meteorology evolving, particularly from your lens as a at the national level or just the meteorologist in
2: general? I don't know that this could be pulled off, but what I would like to see in the future is More coordination across all, whether it's station to station, national network to national network. But coordination on the messaging, mainly because it's you know we're usually talking about life-saving information, tornado warnings, hurricane warnings, and you can watch your local station, or you can watch the Weather Channel, or you can watch another national network, um, and you will get a different set of colors, a different style of graphics, and everyone certainly is trying to get the edge, and most of the time just trying to put the best product out there that they they feel that they can do, but there's There's a couple of things, mainly those life-saving warnings that I feel like should be universal across the board. And and maybe that has to come National Weather Service down, but I feel like consistency will help in getting the message out. Because, you know, as an on-camera meteorologist, that's my biggest frustration is I feel like we say things sometimes that don't get heard. And I wanted I wanted to get heard because we we really, truly want people to have a safer, happier, easier day due to the weather forecast that we can provide.
1: You know, that's your spot on with this. I remember during my tenure as AMS president talking with Nate Johnson, who actually is in the Raleigh market now. And although I believe he's with uh, NBC Meteorology now, the sort of director of meteorology for them. But. We actually had a call with, I believe it's an industry organization called the RDTNA or the Radio Digital and Television Network Association about that very topic. And as you might guess, we had that conversation, but it never really went anywhere. How could we sort of unify some of these sort of. Key concepts of of warnings and messaging across the space, and I think it is a big challenge because of the competitive nature. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, and I have to remind people of this all the time, we serve a function to warn the public and get information out but you all work for organizations that are not nonprofits. They are actually uh, you know, in the business of selling ads and making money and getting eyes on their network as well. And that's just the reality of what what, what you do. Um, JD, come to you with that same question. What are your thoughts on how broadcast meteorology will or should evolve? Uh, I'm,
0: I'm gonna take a slightly different tack because a lot of our job is making sure that we're taking care of other people. And I think we still have a long way to go in making sure that we're first and foremost as well taking care of ourselves. Uh, One of the things a lot of people don't realize if you're coming into broadcast meteorology, uh, you're going to see a lot of trauma. Uh, You're going to see if whether you're covering a hurricane or a blizzard or a tornado outbreak, you're going to see and have to process a lot of trauma. And a lot of times, especially if you go back 10 to 15 years ago, we were not taking care of ourselves. Uh, mental health just wasn't getting the same, you know, benefits that physical health was, it had a stigma to it. And I think we finally have come to the point where we realize how important it is to make sure that you as a whole are, you know, whole. And I I think that's really where I would like to see our industry kind of move forward to is maybe, you know, I'm not sure how it would happen, because obviously, as you mentioned, we're all so many different companies and so many different things, but just to have the resources out there for folks to, take care of themselves and to make sure that not only are they doing what they love, but they're loving how they're doing it as well. And and I think that's going to be a really important thing as we head into the future
1: final word i'm going to give you just each of you a sort of a final statement and also in that final statement tell people where they can find you on social media as well so i'll start with you jd uh, if you're out there on social media or any just final nugget of information for either the weather geeks listeners or an aspiring broadcast meteorologist
0: uh if you're looking to find me on social uh, i'm pretty easy uh, except for spelling my name of course but it is just my name it's at jason disharoon uh, on all the socials uh, dish room is phonetic. So it's just dish uh, room um, and find a little nugget. I got kind of like Lance and the other one I was like, you had to come to me first. Um, I, I think for me, it would just be, you know, listen, there's so much information around you. If you just choose to open up and take it all in, it will get you very far. If you choose to go into this career, really whatever career, whatever field you go in, um, just make sure that ears are open and you're kind of attuned to everything that's coming your way.
1: Jen, how about you? And where are you on social media as well?
2: You can find me on all the socials: Twitter, Instagram, and um, and Facebook at Jen Carfagno. Um, uh, well, on Facebook, it's twc Jen Carfagno. Um, and and I would say, you know, echoing the whole, the whole ask questions, listening, I would, um, I think the, the biggest piece of advice I always give people is to just stay curious, keep questioning everything. You know, every time you read a story, think, think of what's, what's, what can you question about that? What can you find that's odd, unique, um, and that'll make your story stand out and ultimately keep you energized to keep, you know, to keep going.
1: And to the man who inspired this episode, Lance, we'll give you the final word.
3: Yeah. So uh, uh,
2: real quick, social media, Lance
3: Blocker WX. That's uh, my Twitter account. You can find me other ones as well, but pretty much the same thing. So the biggest thing I would tell for anybody who's thinking about getting into this industry is to go give it a shot with an internship. I strongly, strongly, strongly suggest that I got. I, I was blessed to go with James's James Span's team at ABC 3340, learned a ton that I still use today. Um and, you know, I know that a lot of colleges are getting away from internships because of the COVID-19 struggles with stations letting people in. Uh, there are plenty out there to be had. And I promise you, it is well worth your time. It's not fun. I lived in it. I literally slept in a tent in Birmingham, Alabama, in order to make mine happen over the summer uh, when I was out there. And it is the best thing that I have ever done for my career. Uh, internships are So important. And it also can teach you, too, if this isn't what you want to do. And that's just as important, if not even more important. And I I will say one other
1: thing. Just make sure you're aware of the sort of various certificates out there that the AMS, NWA and others have, what stations require. Just understand the nuances of those types of parts of the industry that you may not learn about in a class because uh, those things are important as well. That's where we have to end it. I uh, really enjoyed this conversation. I knew I would because this is the three very interesting colleagues. Uh, thank you all for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast today.
2: Marshall, thank you. This is fun. Yeah, thanks.
1: Thank Appreciate you for it, listening as well. Uh, be sure to go out and follow these uh, colleagues on Twitter and various other social media. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard at the University of Georgia, and we'll talk to you next time on Weather Geeks.